Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day. Uh, a conversation that brings state leaders and state issues to you, and I hope that you feel free to join us in this conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this morning. Today, we will not only be taking your calls, but we also have our chat room open. I think this will give you two ways to participate. Uh, as luck would have it, my uh, switchboard operator uh, just got sick, so I'll be uh, monitoring the switchboard uh, this morning. If you want to call in and ask a question, you can dial 1-347-989-8904, 1-347-989-8904, and when you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1, and that will indicate my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. Uh, I will not know your name, so I'll identify you by the last four numbers of the number you are calling from. Um, I will also ask that if you are uh, listening on the computer and in the phone, you do one or the other because once you start to get on the phone, there will be a delay and it gets a little confusing. If you just want to ask a question, uh, I'll be watching the, the chat room, and if you have a question, I will look at that and I'll pass it on to our speaker. Um, now for the issue at hand. Uh, I've been with the association of over 17 years, and from my experience, when most people decide to run for the school board, they usually have a good variety of reasons to help to run. One is to improve student achievement, to improve the facilities, to get involved to teach, uh, to get involved with this, the the current board and the administration to help move the district forward. Uh, but usually, not one of them. One of the more popular reasons is to get involved in teacher negotiations and staff negotiations. It's not usually high on the list if it's on the list at all. Yet staff and salary benefits are by far where most of the district's financial resources are allocated. In addition, in the teacher contract are clauses that affect teacher pupil time as well as professional development for your staff. Uh, and all resources uh, are limited. So while it may not be on the high on the list of most school board candidates, once you begin serving on the school board, it, you, you soon see its importance, especially since it occurs every three years most of the time. Here to discuss labor relations issues and trends for 2015 with me is Patrick Duncan, manager of NJSBA's Labor Relations Department. Welcome, Patrick. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, Pat, before we get into some specific issues just for 2015, let me ask you a couple of things uh, about uh, negotiations in general. Actually, the general public and the parents usually don't hear too much about the negotiations going on in school districts unless – there's something going wrong. Uh, they hear that there's no settlement. Um, and one of the things that you hear often is that the teachers are working without a contract. Uh, is that a correct term from your perspective? From my perspective, no, it's not. I mean, you, you hear that all the time. That You know, you might see a headline in the paper that says that the, the teachers have been working out a, without a contract for X amount of time. So 
uh, you know, if if contract or contract negotiations are ongoing um, after the contract has technically expired, um, the old contract remains in force. Um, the parties uh, have to continue to adhere to the terms and conditions of employment. So that means things like the work schedule, whatever health insurance people um, uh, the employees are receiving, uh, the stipend payments, um, their underlying salary. None of that can change um, during the pendency of the contract negotiations. None of that changes until the parties agree that they're going to change through the contract uh, negotiations process. Uh, and then some people who run for the border, uh, I know, uh, they have experience in negotiate labor relations issues, either in the public setting or in the private setting. Um, but negotiations in education, particularly in New Jersey, between the local boards of ed and uh, uh, the teachers or other staff members is a little different. Could you explain that? Well, yeah, it is different. Uh, first, you know, the nature of the process is just entirely different. Um, traditionally, uh, public sector bargaining, it just takes a lot longer than collective negotiations in the private sector. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, the other thing is that one of the, the, the very unique uh, or important characteristics of school negotiations is that um, there is no new agreement until the parties agree that there's, no, there's a new agreement. Um, it is never the case for school negotiations that uh, a mediator or a fact finder or an arbitrator or somebody from the state or what have you is going to come in and force an agreement upon the parties. Um, so it, it, it really is the nature of the process is that there's not going to be an agreement until there's a voluntary agreement between the, between the parties. Um, and the, the impasse procedures, the way negotiations work, uh, for school contracts in New Jersey is, you know, the parties are going to sit down, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a few or six months before the contract expires, and they're going to start face-to-face negotiations. Um, and about half the time, those face-to-face negotiations result in uh, a successor contract. Um, but when that fails, and sometimes it does, um, the parties agree to go to mediation, uh, and in mediation, what happens is there, there is a, a third party uh, from the state who comes in and tries to facilitate that voluntary agreement between the parties. Um, and again, that works a, a lot of times, but if that doesn't work, there are, there are, are fact-finding procedures where somebody from the state will come in and they'll actually take testimony from the parties about uh, what they think the settlement ought to be, and the fact finder will make a, a recommendation uh, for what the new settlement uh, will be. Uh, again, never, ever, ever uh, is somebody going to um, uh, impose a settlement on the parties. And uh, another difference between uh, school negotiations and negotiations in other public sector uh, employers in New Jersey is that um, that process goes on forever. There's never a point in that process, well, since 2003 anyway, where uh, the school district can make the decision that, look, we've, we've, we've made a good faith effort to reach an agreement, and so we're going to impose our, our last best offer uh, on the other side. That, that, that option doesn't exist um, for school districts. It exists for municipalities and technically for the state, but it doesn't exist for um, school districts. So, again, nobody's going to oppose a contract. It's got to be a voluntary agreement between the parties. Okay, I'm just going to reemphasize that point because I know a lot of people come from other public sectors. So 
basically both sides have to come to this agreement. Even in other like police and other negotiations, there can be an outside entity that forces an agreement. Right. A lot of people may be familiar with uh, police and fire negotiations, and the, the the end of that process is often binding arbitration, where the arbitrator will make a binding decision that both both parties have to live with. That dynamic doesn't exist for school contracts. All right. Uh, a lot of contracts will be expiring this June, but before a district goes into uh, negotiations uh, with their uh, teachers or other staff members, what are some things that the board should do as a whole or maybe as a committee uh, before they enter into negotiations? Uh, well, the short answer to that is prepare. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that that's more than half the battle is, is, is making sure that you're prepared to go into collective negotiations. So some specific things that you ought to do, um, you know, you need to figure out what the status quo is for negotiating purposes. So what that means is that you need to analyze your existing collective bargaining agreement to figure out what's in that. Um, talk with your administrators, um, and they may be able to tell you, look, in, in, in order to achieve what we want to achieve in this district, your superintendent may tell you, you know, I need some more flexibility in this area, maybe in terms of uh, scheduling or, uh, you know, the health insurance costs are um, – even with the advent of, of Chapter 70 are still killing us, we need to make some uh, adjustments there to make the budget work under the 2% tax levy cap. So, uh, you know, analyze the existing salary guide. Um, that, that's a big part of the collective negotiations. Um, and importantly, um, I, I guess you kind of alluded, what's the responsibility of the full board versus the responsibility of the negotiating committee? Right. Um, one of the important responsibilities that the full board has, uh, of course, minus people who are, are conflicted under uh, under the law, is that the, the full board has the responsibility of saying, okay, given the circumstances in our district, given our um, budget situation, given our educational environment, given what the administrator has, has told us, these are the overall parameters um, that um, uh, we're operating under um, to reach a new agreement, so that you know, if we get X, Y, and Z, we can afford to settle at the most at X percent, uh, inclusive of the cost of increment. So those kind of broad parameters are the responsibility of the full board. Um, and once they come to those broad parameters, uh, they're going to empower the negotiating committee uh, that's appointed by the board president to kind of get from point A to point B. So uh, I guess like any committee, they should really communicate well the progress once you're into the negotiations uh, with the full board on a pretty regular basis, particularly if there's something major coming up or major agreement or major – Yeah, I mean on a regular basis, they ought to be um, – it doesn't have to be super detailed, but you know, every time there's a board meeting, you might have an executive session, and part of that executive session might just be – a quick update from the negotiating committee, right? The update may be we just got the proposals from the union. Um, it looks like things are going well right now. Um, you know, we were surprised by the salary offer, the um, et cetera, whatever that kind of just general update is. Of course, you're going to have to give more detailed updates as you hit maybe milestones during the negotiations process. So, you know, examples of that might be, if you're going to go to a mediation session, you might want to give a, a, a more detailed update to the full board. Or um, if you start to see some um, concerted activity on part of the union, uh, that might be time for uh, a, a more in-depth meeting. 
Um, but you, you definitively want to make sure that you're, you're keeping the full board up to date during the negotiations process because, remember, uh, the, the committee is empowered to reach a tentative agreement. Once that tentative agreement is reached, they have to bring it back to the full board. And the, you know, there's no contract until the full board ratifies that contract. Uh, and they need a majority vote in order to ratify that contract. So you certainly don't want to be in a position where the, the board's surprised um, by what the committee brings back to them to ask them to ratify, because that's, that, that's not a good labor relations scenario if the committee bring back, brings back a memorandum of agreement um, that they've reached with the association in good faith, and then the board votes no on that contract. That's, that, that makes, that's going to be a contentious situation um, when you have to go back to the association and kind of uh, uh, rejigger um, uh, the contract in order to get something that uh, is going to be able to be passed by the full board. All right. Uh, let's look a little bit. You know, People go into negotiations now. It's 2015. And actually, if you ever see anything in the paper about negotiations, the thing that makes the headlines in general is the settlement rate. Um, you know, they'll say it was three years at a certain percentage, and they don't. Usually, the paper doesn't go too much into detail after that. Uh, what are now? I know uh, I'm going to say you probably will agree. There's more to a contract than just the settlement rate. It's the entire package, correct? You know, the entire cost. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, just just um, so as uh, as people likely know, um, but it's worth pointing out. Um, the, the New Jersey School Boards Association has um, what I think is the gold standard in terms of uh, a database of collective negotiations data. So we, we track very closely uh, what's happening with settlements, what's happening in terms of concessions from uh, the association in exchange for those settlements. Um, and if you, if you do kind of a deep dive into uh, the data that we have, if you, if you look at the last uh, month that we have, um, which is uh, 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 you know, we, we looked at the data in depth uh, about a week ago um, that have settled in the last year. Uh, about 71% of those contracts have some sort of give back uh, associated with the settlement, right? So you don't want to just look at the settlement in isolation. You know, a district may have settled for X percent, and maybe that's a little bit higher than uh, the county average or the state average or what have you, but they may have saved a boatload of money on health insurance or they may have saved um, some resources by uh, creating some flexibility on the, in terms of work time and scheduling and things like that. Um, just made the, the operations more uh, efficient um, by creating more flexibility in the work rules. And, and in fact, that, that, that's a trend that uh, we continue to see. Um, if you ask me that question, uh, if we were talking about this a year ago, um, we have this metric that we track that says, you know, what percentage of school districts um, achieve some sort of improvements in the work time provisions in their contract when they settled the, the agreement. Um, last year at this time, it was at about 31%. Um, last time we checked a week ago, we, we were up to 37%. Um, so, you know, boards um, and, you know, in fairness, the, the associations are starting to be a little more uh, creative in the settlements that they reach because everybody's operating under this hard cap that's the 2% tax levy cap. So um, we're, we're trying to do more with less, and I think that's a reflection of that. Uh, where are the settlement rates? I know it varies, but uh, is there a ballpark figure, or does it depend on a lot of other variables? Well, obviously, it, it, it differs um, depending on the circumstance, but um, 
the average right now in the state of New Jersey mm-hmm. um, for, let's just take, for instance, the 2014-2015 school year, which is this school year. Right. Um, hundreds of districts have already settled their contract, obviously, for this school year. The average throughout the state is 2.46%. And um, so if that is um, – it's important that everybody understand what that number is, though. Um, that is the the total new amount of money that the parties have agreed to spend based on the existing salary base. It includes the step increase. Um, so it's not everybody moves up a step and then everybody – there's a general wage increase of 2.46%. That's the overall increase for the entire unit in terms of the aggregate money spent. Um, so it's important to point that out. And that number varies. Um, you know, if you look at the county averages around the state, um, they range from uh, a low of like 2.08% uh, um, all the way up to um, 2.77%. I, I Actually, I misspoke. It's 2.18% is the lowest county average right now, um, and the highest is around 2.77%. Um, so, um, uh, again, there's, you, you, don't wanna, you don't want the, the separate rates, uh, the average settlement rates, the comparative data to be a determinant of where you end up in the process. There's obviously a lot more going on uh, in your particular district, but you do need to be aware of what those settlement rates are, and they they have trended up a little bit over the last year or so. And you have to be aware of them, if I'm hearing you correctly, I guess by the region you're in, the county, or maybe this type of district you're in, a, a single school district. So there's a lot of variables that you have to look at, not just that one number. Yeah, you're going to want to... You know, you're going to want to run through some scenarios, and and you can certainly contact um, uh, Sandy Raup, who's the data analyst here at School Boards, and she can help you do that. Um, but you might want to take a look. If you know, if you're a small K through eight district um, in Sussex County, you may say to yourself, you know what, in terms of who we compete with, in terms of hiring and retaining teachers, it's really going to be the other K through eight districts in the northwest part of the state. Um, so that may you know, what the Sussex County average might not be very important to you because that obviously includes a lot of high school districts, right? So right. you want to think through um, what the relevant data is. Um, and also you're going to want to look at that data in depth because um, it's just the nature of the process. The, the, the association is going to bring some of that information to the table. And, and, you know, there's not an association out there worth its salt that can't produce some sort of data package that, "Quote unquote," demonstrates that they're underpaid, right? Um, yeah. You know what they say about statistics. So, I mean, you need to do your homework on that end. Uh, we're speaking with Patrick Duncan, manager of NJS Bay's Labor Relations Department. If you have a question, you can call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and just press one, uh, and I will uh, uh, get you online live, or you can just type it in on the chat room if you have a question. Um, Pat, I guess it was. Uh, Oh, it's a little over four years ago now, or about four years ago, uh, Chapter 78, when we reformed state health benefit. Uh, what, local, what issues should local boards be aware of as we move into that? Because each year that's changing a little bit. Well, that's true. Um, the first thing I would say is, um, and I, this is probably not going to surprise anybody who's listening, but uh, the first thing to know is that the union's going to want to talk about it. <laughs> Um, so um, you, you especially need to do your homework on this front. Um, so, you know, it, it differs district by district, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the, 
the typical scenario out there, what the situation most districts find themselves in right now, and obviously we can take some questions um, from people if they have a different scenario. But um, for people who are going into collective negotiations right now, they're starting the negotiations process. Um, that means that your contract that you have with your teaching staff um, likely expires on June 30th, 2015. And the employees in that bargaining unit, given the way that the law was, um, there was a delayed implementation of the law depending on where you were in the collective negotiations process back in 2011, um, most people um, are in the situation where the staff members are in Tier 3 of the four-year phase-in of Chapter 78. And so uh, just a quick refresher, under Chapter 78, um, all public employees have to pay a portion of the insurance premium in order to receive insurance from the employer. Um, and that percentage is based on their overall salary um, and uh, what plan they choose, essentially. And so, you know, just to use a hypothetical, and, you know, this number might be slightly off, but if somebody's uh, a staff member is making $80,000 a year, they choose family coverage, um, Chapter 78 may require that they pay 20% of the overall premium. I think that's probably a little bit low, but I'm just using that because the math's easier. Um, so that, that employee, though, it percent overnight. Um, it was phased in over a four-year period. And if you're in phase three, that employee, that hypothetical employee is paying 15% of the premium cost this year. Next year, the law will be fully phased in and they will be paying 20% of that premium cost. Now, here's the tricky part. Um, the tricky part is that um, the employee contribution um, requirement part of that law quote unquote sunsets after the fourth year has been fully implemented. So after year four is in uh, effect for an entire year. And so, you know, in in the most school districts that are listening right now, the situation is that Chapter 78 will sunset for those employees in that respect on June 30th, 2016, which is in the middle of the next three-year contract. Mm -hmm. um, and if you read the plain language of Chapter 78, um, what that indicates is that the parties are um, – it's not a negotiable topic for the parties. They can't talk about reducing the employee contributions at this point in time. They can talk about it in the next round of bargaining, but not in this current round of bargaining um, just because of the plain language of Chapter 78. So you're in a situation where the union's going to come to the table and they're going to say, you know, I know we can't do anything about year one, but we want you to reduce our contributions in year two. Uh, and, you know, the response to that is it's, it's, an, it's a non-negotiable topic. We can't talk about that until July 1st, 2016. And I think importantly, um, the vast majority of school districts are in the position where even if it were a negotiable topic, it's not something that they really have the financial wherewithal to even consider um, moving away from those cost contributions. Never say never, um, but um, it, it's a, it, it would – 
most school districts are not in a position where they, they have the ability to move away from those anyway, given the financial circumstances. I just want to clarify this. So, And I'm sure there might be some people from a, the union who might disagree with your interpretation, one or two at least. That's possible. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's the it sunsets in 2016, as you said. So the, if the contract signed in 2015, it's for the, you can't negotiate anything in that contract. Even though it sunsets in 2016, you have to wait till the next contract after 2016, which may be 2018. Or even though right, so the it, law is sunsetting. Assuming at you that have point. a three-year contract, it's gonna it's gonna run from 2015 to 2018. And so when you're entering contract negotiations for the the 18 to, oh my gosh, the 2021 contract, um, that's the contract cycle um, where, you know, I don't think there's any disagreement that at that point in time it, it's a negotiable topic. But even when it is a negotiable topic, uh, and this is really, really important, um, the jumping off point for negotiations is not, um, you know, the situation as it was before Chapter 78 was um, implemented. The, the jumping off point for negotiations is uh, tier four of the Chapter 78 contributions. What the law says quite clearly is that it's as if tier four were, were physically written into your contract. So that's the status quo from negotiations when it does become negotiable in the future. Um, in order to move away from those tier four contributions, it requires that the board affirmatively agree to do so. If the board doesn't agree to move away from those Chapter 78 contributions, they will stay in effect forever and ever as the way that the, um, the way the law is written right now. And just to reiterate your other point, because I think it, uh, if I, I'm hearing you correctly, is that, and I, I tend to agree, is that districts probably can't afford many givebacks in this area anyway because to go – they certainly can't afford to go back to what it was four years ago. I think that would probably play havoc with their budgets, but they really have to look long and hard at this area before they would give anything back. Yeah, just a, a couple of points about that. If You you know, negotiating health care um, contributions and health care coverage for employees um, is, is a very difficult thing to talk about at the bargaining table. And right. so, uh, you know, Having to try to, to to take that back once it's given, it, it's it's a difficult financial discussion. It's a difficult emotional discussion for for good reason. It's the it's people's health care that you're talking about. So it's it's a difficult conversation to have. And if you if you look at the history of collective bargaining over health insurance, I, I think it's uh, uh, illustrative. If if you look at like I said, we have this fantastic database here at school boards. If you look back at um, what the status quo was back in 2010, 2011, very, very few districts, um, somewhere in the range of 10% of school districts had any health care contribution whatsoever from their employees, right? The vast majority of school districts, people got single and dependent coverage at no cost to the employee. Um, and that that's just... Uh, uh, emblematic of how difficult it is to negotiate health insurance, um, and you know, frankly, that's why the legislative—that's uh, why the legislator stepped in—is because um, boards really hadn't done a good job of, in the past, of negotiating health care contributions from their employees. Um, 
you, you stated, uh, uh, and we probably should touch on this, uh, uh, most contracts are three years, but there is a law, uh, there was a change where they can go up, they can go longer than three years. And I have heard of some um, associations re- looking for one-year contracts or two-year contracts just so that they can re- start their negotiations after um, uh, Chapter 78 sunsets. Uh, is there any recommendations in, in that area in terms of longer than three years or shorter than three years? So, yeah, I think there are two different issues here. The, the, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take the longer than three-year question first. Um, so there was a, uh, the, the law was changed um, a little over a year ago. Um, the law used to be that the maximum length of a collective negotiations agreement for school districts was three years. Um, and that changed and allowed you to enter into contracts that were up to five years long. Um, as a general proposition, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's some um, some dangers to entering into contracts that are uh, five years prospective. If you think about it, uh, that's a that's an awfully long time to lock up what is probably 70 to 75 percent of your operating budget when there's a lot of variables you don't have control mm-hmm. over that far in the future. Your health insurance, uh, what state aid numbers are going to be, all of those sorts of variables. So that there's a danger in, in kind of locking all of that into place for so long. Um, there are limited circumstances where entering into a longer contract makes sense, um, particularly if you're in the situation where you, you know, the contract expired some time ago and you need to put some retroactive years into that. Um, you might want to enter into a contract that's longer than three years so you can kind of create some breathing space between the end of contract negotiations and when you start contract negotiations for the next contract cycle. You know, if you do enter an agreement, part of the benefit of entering an agreement is you have, quote, unquote, labor peace for a little bit. And I, I think it makes sense to, to create some breathing space in that situation. Now, uh, the second question I think you were asking was about um, circles back to the whole Chapter 78 and the negotiability of health insurance contributions question. Um, what we're hearing from around the state is if, if boards um, take, again, what I think is the right legal position, and that is that, uh, boards don't have the ability to, to negotiate health insurance um, in this round of bargaining, the association might say, well, if that's your position, then we want to enter into a one-year contract because if we enter into a one-year contract, then that will sync up the expiration or the sunset of Chapter 78 and the successor contract. And, you know, uh, granted, that does create a situation where those health insurance contributions would be negotiable at that point in time. Now, you know, from from you know my seat here, um, and you know you may have a different perspective in your uh, at your board, but from my seat, it's clear to me what the advantage to the association is in entering into a one-year contract. Um, it's not clear to me what the benefit to the board of education is. So, you know, I think if you are thinking about entering into a one-year contract, you have to ask yourself the question what am I getting in return for entering into a one-year contract? Because the association gets an earlier crack at the Chapter 78 contributions. Um, So that's number one. Um, Number two is, remember, I I had indicated that health insurance is such an emotional topic. So I I don't, you know, regardless of what you say at the table, if you enter into a one-year contract with with the association, 
um, the association will assume, uh, I am quite sure, that the next time you sit down to negotiate the collective bargaining agreement, that you will provide the employees with some lesser contribution than Tier 4 of Chapter 78. And so if that's not a road you're willing to go down in the future, um, you're really going to create a contentious environment for the next round of negotiations because you know, their perspective will be, well, we entered into a one-year contract so we could reduce health care contributions next time. Um, and that will be the expectation on the union side um, if you do, do go down that road. So you're so sending a message. Be careful of that dynamic. Yeah, if you agree to that, yeah, you're, you're sending Yeah, you're telegraphing the fact that you're, you're willing to have that discussion at a minimum um, for the next round of bargaining. And just one other thing on that. Would you need to, uh, if you did, for some whatever reason, agree to a contract, you'd have to get Neptune language in a contract less than three years? Well, that's a tricky question at the moment, Ray. Um, the um, there, there's there's some outstanding litigation. I can tell you, the current state of the law is that in in every circumstance, regardless of the length of the contract, um, and regardless of the makeup of the bargaining unit, that at the expiration of that contract, um, staff members, bargaining unit members, their their salary is frozen. And it will not increase one dollar um, until the parties reach a new agreement. Now, like I said, there, 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 there's a, a court case out there that's actually um, we probably don't have time to get into the uh, nitty-gritty details of that. Um, um, that is is wrestling with that very question. And so, uh, you know, if if the boards want to be hyper careful about this. Um, they can negotiate language in the contract that says, you know, at the expiration of the contract, everybody's rate of pay is frozen until we reach a new agreement. Um, but that's technically not necessary right now because the state of the law is that um, in every circumstance, at the expiration of the contract, everybody's rate of pay is frozen. Okay. Um, I have a, another question tied to health care. You know, we all have uh, – there's a national health care reform. Um is uh, and there's something called the Cadillac tax that I, I think some boards have been hearing about. Uh, they might not hear about it for 2015, but it's something that they probably should have on their radar. Um, yes. Um, so the Cadillac tax is uh, a part of the Affordable Care Act, um, and essentially what it says is that beginning in 2018, that if you have a health insurance plan where the aggregate cost of that health insurance plan are above a certain threshold, then whatever overage there is above that certain threshold, that overage is subject to a 40, 40% excise tax. Um, and so boards have to be very mindful of where they are in regards to that threshold. And here's um, the problem. Um, we live in New Jersey, um, and health insurance is very expensive in New Jersey. And, you know, roughly half of the school districts in New Jersey are in the school employees' health benefits program, right? And just using that as an example, because I know the numbers off the top of my head, um, right now the aggregate premium cost for single coverage 
for the school employees health benefits program, somebody who takes direct ten, is ten thousand is is essentially ten thousand dollars. It's ten thousand two hundred dollars, right? Um, that's I'm sorry, let, I, I misspoke. The the cost for single coverage is ten thousand two hundred and twenty one dollars. Okay, the Cadillac tax threshold for 2018 is $10,200. So we're already $21 over for single coverage, and we're already about $600 over for family coverage. So that's already the overage that would be subject to the 40% excise tax. And remember, that's before the School Employees Health Benefits Program has been adjusted for the 16 plan year, the 17 plan year, or the 18 plan year. So now, I know there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty out there about what's going to happen with um, state health care and pension reform, but if we continue on the glide path that we're on right now, um, districts that are in the School Employees Health Benefits Program are going to be subject to a very big Cadillac tax uh, impact um, come 2018. So I think boards have uh, a fiduciary responsibility, and frankly, associations have a fiduciary responsibility to kind of plan for that and figure out how we're going to wrestle with that if the Cadillac tax um, is implemented in 2018. And, and granted, there's some there's some political uncertainty about whether that's going to happen um, because nobody likes the Cadillac tax. Um, but um, right now, that's the law in the books, and it's going to happen in 2018 unless there's some uh, change in the law. Hmm. Um. One other thing for 2015, if districts are going into negotiations or some of them may not even be settled yet, uh, what's the average time, I'm switching gears a little, that negotiations take now? Is it has it is it longer than it used to be? Um, yeah, I think over the past two or three years, the, the length of uh, collective negotiations has gotten a little bit longer. Um, if you if you look, we looked at our database um, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and if you take contracts that expired on July first, two thousand and fourteen, all right, there were two hundred and six districts where the teacher contract expired July first, two thousand fourteen. Seventy of those districts have still not settled their contracts. So that's roughly a third of those districts are still mm. in collective negotiations. They're working under the expired contract. So they're working their way through kind of the impasse procedures. Um, you know, most of those people are in the mediation phase, um, but we do have about 20 of those people that are uh, in the fact-finding phase, which I, I kind of talked about 20 or uh, 20, 25 minutes ago. So um, it is it is taking a little bit longer um, and you know boards need to be patient. Um, I know it's it's a difficult circumstance when uh, the parties are working with an expired contract. But uh, again, as we touched on at the beginning of this, um, you still have a contract, uh, and everybody needs to adhere to the contract. Um, the board needs to adhere to the contract, and the association needs to adhere to the contract. And uh, to reiterate your point, I guess your point is you don't need to feel rushed because no one can. We're going back almost to the beginning, I guess, a little bit, uh, that you can't be forced into a settlement uh, by a third party. So you, you need to be patient and, I guess, stay the course. 
You do. I mean, you know, never, ever, ever is somebody going to force the Board of Education to sign on the dotted line for the new contract. It's always a voluntary agreement. Um, and, you know, typically uh, the party that's more patient during the process, and I know that's difficult when, you know, everybody shows up at the board meeting wearing the same colored shirt, et cetera, um, but the party that's more patient ends up getting the better deal at the end of the day. Um, and remember, there are lots of resources um, at your disposal. Um, at any time, you can pick up the, the the phone and talk to anybody here on the labor relations team, whether it's Sandy about, um, you know, different data scenarios you want to run or you have a questions about union tactics or whatever, you can call um, anybody on the labor relations team. You have your board attorney. Um, in some circumstances, you have a labor attorney. Um, you should take advantage of those resources. You don't have to do this alone. Uh, we didn't really talk about this in the beginning, but we did talk about what the public sees. Uh, is there anything, or because this is a, a executive session item uh, negotiations, but sometimes word gets out to the public. Uh, is there anything that a, a board should communicate to the public, or is that a tricky area to go into? Um, it's a super tricky uh, area to go into. Um, uh, and the, the answer to that question differs kind of where you are at in the bargaining process. Um, mm -hmm. The answer to that question is um, different uh, as you enter negotiations in January than it is if you've, you know, entered into your third mediation session. Um, and I, I would I would urge um, if you are um, contemplating, um, you know, making a press release or communicating with the public um, that you need to make sure that you. Uh, contact the labor relations team here or your labor attorney um, before you uh, disseminate that information. And it, you know, uh, one um, important point is, um, you know, under New Jersey labor law, the important thing is that you you are prohibited from negotiating directly with individual employees. Uh, the association is the majority representative for the employees, and that's who you need to do the collective negotiations with. So that's just kind of a kind of a cardinal rule that we need to observe um, uh, as we think about our communication strategy. Uh, do you have any other uh, words of advice for school districts that are about to go into negotiations or uh, this June, or their contracts expiring this June? No, I mean I I, I think I'm just going to uh, re-say what I said before. Wouldn't that uh, be patient and take advantage of the resources that you're at your disposal? Um, uh, I promise at the end of the day you will reach an agreement. <laughs> it may take you uh, quite a long time, but eventually you will reach a voluntary agreement, and uh, that will be in place, and you can get back to the business of uh, a running, a, running a school. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our program. Patrick, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Ray, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Thanks very much. Uh, just, uh, I'm sure there's probably even a few uh, teachers who are listening to this uh, program either now or uh, uh, later on. Um, but to the board members, uh, I just want to reiterate one thing that uh, uh, Patrick said, and that was that you know we do have resources. It's it's a very great, valuable resource to get these settlement rates to be prepared as you go into negotiations for your district. Uh, I would, from my perspective, also recommend that you use those uh, resources because you know that the, your association will be using similar resources, so it's very helpful for you to do that. 
So I'd like to bring, you know, that brings us to the end of this program. I'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you have any questions that you didn't get a chance to ask, please feel free to email myself uh, at rpinney at njsba.org or Pat Duncan. I'm sure we'll, either one of us will be happy to uh, answer any of your questions. His his email is pduncan at njsba.org, but you can go to our website and find us. And thank you for joining us on this program, and have a good day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.